Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary. What I like about Frosted Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosk, their online ordering, and then just pick up at the store. And then they're always getting new genetics as well, so that's always cool. Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no weight, and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains, but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases. I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend and I would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help. Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumwood. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> A special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. Welcome to the BSN Nuggets podcast. We are presented today, of course, by Total Beverage. Right now at Total Beverage, they have an exclusive deal for BSN listeners. You guys can get $10 off a $50 purchase or more on their website and app by using the promo code BSN10. So again, if you use the promo code BSN10, you guys can save $10 off a $50 order for all your parties. Have it delivered right to your door because Total Beverage makes it super convenient. They now deliver to anywhere in the North Metro area, all the way from Wheat Ridge to Erie. So make sure to check out Total Beverage for all your liquor, wine, beer, spirits needs for this upcoming weekend. Maybe you need some after this Nuggets loss. Denver falls to Utah Thursday night at Pepsi Center, 111-104. The last time the Nuggets lost at home, was that Warriors game a few months ago. Before that, it was a Rockets game. The Nuggets had won 20 of their last 21 at home, so we haven't gone to Pepsi Center in a while and seen a Nuggets loss, but there were a lot of things to take away from this one. What was just your overall vibe walking out of there last night? Well, I mean, the Nuggets played about as bad as they have all year there in the second quarter. Michael Mullen called it one of the worst quarters of the year. Um, somehow, you know, this was a, a game that got down to three, four points at the very end. Um, I thought it was admirable the way Denver was able to fight back in this game in the third quarter and, and specifically Will Barton almost single-handedly willing them back into this game. But I think the biggest takeaway has got to be, um, the second quarter when, when Denver got outscored 33 to 15, when the offense bogged down a little bit. Two different players, uh, Monte Morris and Barton described the offense as stagnant in the second quarter. Michael Malone described it as just a lot of standing around an offense, over-dribbling. That group was really bad, obviously. He was talking about the the bench unit um, with Isaiah Thomas was out there, Monte, Gary Harris was out there with, with Millsap and Plumlee in stretches. That that offense, or that group, just looked about as out of rhythm as I've seen any Denver lineup look this year. 
Yeah, they really did. No doubt. Michael Mullen really hit the nail on the head after the game, I thought. I mean, that group was outscored 10-2 to over the first five minutes of the second quarter about. Denver made one sub with that bench unit putting in Torrey Craig, but it was mostly that you know same five bench guys or just five bench guys who gave up that run at the beginning of the quarter. Denver shot 1-12 from the field over that stretch, turned the ball over three times. That run really seemed like it was almost fatal for Denver. They spent the rest of the game just trying to play catch-up, trying to get back into this thing, and did, uh, like you mentioned, in the fourth quarter, but it was too late by then. It just seemed like that run really just kind of symbolized the struggles of the second unit against the Jazz. And look, I mean, Michael Mullen said there could be changes, and I guess we'll talk about what those changes could be in a couple minutes here. Um, But that whole group struggled. Isaiah Thomas struggled. Monte Morris struggled. Those two struggled to mesh together in the backcourt. They even you know struggled to mesh with Gary Harris and Plumlee and Millsap, the two other guys who were out there for most of that stretch. That group struggled to play together. They played a ton of pick-and-roll basketball. Every single possession in the half court was pretty much a high ball screen by Mason Plumlee for either Isaiah Thomas or Monte Morris. We know that's not really how the Nuggets play. And, I, I mean, it just seemed like that whole group was out of sorts. It wasn't Nuggets basketball. No, I mean, it, it looked like a style that, that the Nuggets don't normally play, um, overtaking one that works so well for them. Um, you know, moving the ball over the court, um, this read-and-react offense w- was replaced by just the high pick-and-roll. Um, IT's first possession of the game, he, he went high pick-and-roll with Plumley, Royce O'Neal, who's like seven or eight inches taller than him, um, you know, st- stuck right with him. They poked the ball away from him. He committed a turnover. Um, you know, I-, I thought the length and athleticism that the Jazz threw out in this game really bothered IT. Like, yeah. if you just looked out on the floor, the Jazz had some monster lineups where, like, the shortest guy on the floor was six foot five, six foot six at times. And it's just, it was just a really tough game for Denver to, to try to play this mighty might lineup where you got three guys who are all under six foot four. This yeah. just, you know, maybe it wasn't a game for it. And, I don't blame Michael Malone at all for, for throwing it out there, but it, the length really bothered them. And, you know, when, when they talked about stagnancy, um, guys over dribbling, look, they were talking about Isaiah Thomas. There, there's no question about it. Um, this was IT's fifth game back um, after missing 11 months. Obviously, it's really, really difficult to, to come back for 11 months. And you look at Denver's offensive numbers, Denver's averaging 92 points per 100 possessions on, on offense when IT is on the floor. Uh, they're averaging about 113 points per possessions when he's on the bench. The offense has really bogged down since he's come back, and, and he's had some nice moments. But, look, I don't think there's any disputing that, that right now the Nuggets offense isn't humming along like it should be when IT's out there on the floor. Yeah, he's played five games now uh, for Denver. I felt like he was good in the first two, and I feel like his play has dropped off here over the last three starting with that Clippers game where he was 3 of 11 from the field. I mean, he's scoring, except for this Jazz game. He's scored in near double digits in four of these five games. He had eight points in his debut, a 16 against Dallas, 10 against the Clippers, 11 against Oklahoma City, and just four, obviously, on two of six shooting in 11 minutes Thursday versus the Jazz. So, I mean, he's scoring, but like you said, that's not leading to a real efficient offense. And, yeah, it's a problem with the bench unit. So, 
it kind of came to a head last night, uh, I think. The struggles that that unit has had in spots. Uh, and I, I've detailed this earlier in the week and on this show a few days ago. But they've been able to get by because that group has been able to hold it together defensively. Uh, but it, it just seemed like the offensive issues really came to a head. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of wondering if we're going to see IT and Monte Morris play that much together going forward. I mean, they, they've tried it these last five games. Um, Monte Morris, in my opinion, should be in the discussion for sixth six man of the year this year. That's that's how impactful he's been in my mind, just with, with holding that bench unit together and setting everybody up and being this efficient scoring, having a million-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. I think you need to figure out a, a way probably for, for Monte Morris to, to be able to run his, his own unit. Um you know, he's played really well with Jamal Murray. Those two guys fit together. It's just such a tough time to, you know, be patient and, and give these times to work through their issues because Denver's in the stretch run right now, you know? Like, it'd be different if this was November and you're like, all right, well, we got a lot of time to, to let IT and Monte f- figure each other's games out. But it, it's just a very difficult time because they're, they're trying to lock up this two seed. Yeah, it's not the easiest time to insert a guy like Isaiah Thomas. If you're inserting a guy who's going to stay in the corner and take three-pointers, yeah, it's a lot easier than inserting a high-usage lead ball handler who's you know going to play pick-and-roll with your second unit every time down the floor. And like I said, he's had good moments for sure. It hasn't all been bad. He's already hit some big-time shots. There's been points in... A couple of those first Isaiah Thomas games where he's turned the momentum in the Nuggets direction with one shot or two shots, but it, it just seemed like the negatives in these last couple games for him have outweighed maybe the positives in his first three games or so or two games or so. And yeah, you're right. Him and Monte Morris have kind of struggled to find that chemistry. And look, that's tough because for really the entire season, that second unit was... Monte Morris's. He was the lead ball handler. Uh, he was the guy initiating the offense, and things hummed really well. Now he's playing a lot of off the ball with Isaiah on that second unit. He's getting frozen out a lot, and I agree. I think you've got to put the ball back in his hands more. However you do that, I don't know if that means Monte Morris playing uh, some with the starters, Jamal Murray playing some with that bench unit and Isaiah Thomas. I'm not sure how you do it, but you've got to get the ball in Monte Morris's hands more, it seems. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I, I want to just make sure that uh, people understand. I, I'm not trying to say, like, Isaiah Thomas needs to be cut out of the rotation or, or anything like that. I mean, th- this guy has a lot to contribute, and, you know, so, some rust is just to be expected when, when a guy has missed 11 months, but... Yeah, things things have been kind of trending in the wrong direction. They they kind of had that initial jolt, uh, right? That, that first and, game and back, and you knew that was going to happen too. Yeah, it's a, you, you, you were talking knew. about last night the Boogie Cousins effect, right? Yeah, you knew there was going to be a Demarcus Cousins effect. Where all right, this is Isaiah Thomas is coming back. It's been eleven months in the making. The hype is building. You know, he's been behind the scenes doing his good work, and we've detailed that extensively. How valuable he's been for this team behind the scenes before he even made his debut and now a bit of that luster from you know his, his debut and that buildup has wore off and yeah the Nuggets have to adjust here 
So we'll see what they do. I mean, any other ideas uh, in your opinion about how they can adjust things on the bench unit? The one thing I think about is Gary Harris, right? We know Gary Harris is Nuggets starting shooting guard. Um, we know he's been operating on somewhat of a minute restriction here. I mean, from my understanding, it's a- around 20 plus or minus a few minutes here and there. It seems like he's ready for a bigger role, though. It seems like he's himself. It seems like he can take on a few more minutes, possibly. And I know the Nuggets don't want to really ramp him up to 30, 35 minutes right away because, hey, they've got the long view in mind with him. He's had a trying season. He's had a multitude of injuries, and they want to be really careful with him down the stretch, do everything they can to ensure he's healthy for the playoffs, but it seems like he could be ready for a bigger role. Does that mean moving into the starting lineup? I don't know. Maybe that changes some things with the bench unit too, but it seems like there could be some changes. It's difficult to see where those changes could come from though. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious to see if Gary moves back into the starting lineup against the New Orleans Pelicans on Saturday. He played 23 minutes in this game against the jazz. Um, I mean, 25 minutes seems like something he can manage right now while, while also not overexerting him. Um, the Pelicans game is interesting because, you know, they have a weak bench too. So, like, you, you could change some things up, and I really wouldn't be worried about Denver's bench unit if Malik Beasley is back on there um, just because they're not – I mean, they just don't have a lot of depth. But it'll it'll be interesting to see uh, against New Orleans if any changes occur. I mean, Michael Mullen hinted that there might be. Yeah, and let's see what Michael Malone had had to say after this game pertaining to the struggles that the Nuggets bench unit had and Isaiah Thomas had as uh, kind of the lead ball handler. He said, that group was really bad. Obviously, we've got to get better when we come off the bench and understand we play a certain style of basketball. It's not one-on-one. It's not standing around. It's not pick and roll every possession. Uh, I thought the second half we did a better job with that unit, but you get outscored 33-15, and that deflated us. It deflated the arena with how badly played, and the poor defense carried over to the poor, or the poor offense carried over to the poor defense. Overall in the second quarter, let's just rattle off the stats. The Nuggets were outscored 33-15. to They shot 5 of 22 from the field, 1 of 7 from 3, turned the ball over 6 times. More turnovers than made field goals in the second quarter. That's never good. (laughs) Not great, Bob. (laughs) That's never good. Let's hit on the first quarter here. My takeaway from the first quarter, and this kind of got lost, and uh, the defensive effort overall kind of got lost in this loss and how the bench played and whatnot and how this second half unfolded. But I thought Denver's defense was good at times. The three-point defense obviously really struggled, and we'll talk about that. But in the first quarter, before it seemed like the Jazz really figured Denver out, Denver held Utah to 19 points in the first period. The Jazz shot there 7-23 of from the field, 3-13 of from three. The Nuggets came into this game over their last six games. They've been the best defense in the league. It seemed like they were playing at that level in the first quarter, and things kind of fell off a little bit, but um, things got off to a good start, and the second quarter, like I mentioned before, kind of changed the tune of this one. Yeah, Denver was flying around. That was an excellent defensive quarter. I Honestly, I thought that they should have been up like eight or ten points after that quarter instead yeah. of three. Um, this was just the weird game where, I mean, even the starters, 
before any of the bench guys got on, didn't look like they were in a great rhythm offensively. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the offensive issues, I mean, yeah, they were the worst in the second quarter, but it's not like the starters were, like, firing on all cylinders to begin this game either. Yeah, the offense really struggled. Denver just never got into an offensive rhythm with any group. Not with the bench group, not with the starting group. And I think Utah did a lot of things defensively. I just think they had a great game plan overall to take Denver out of their rhythm. I want to touch on that in a second. But first, a word from Get Around. If you guys are ever in need of a car, truck, or vehicle for a few hours or a few days, Get Around is at your service. If you're not familiar with Get Around, Get Around is a car sharing app. You can literally unlock cars near you through their app. And better yet, if you have a car that's just sitting around, make some extra money for your next vacation. Get Around's insurance policy and 24-7 customer service have you covered. So go to get.co backslash nuggets to save $15 off your first rental or visit get.co backslash BSN to sign up for free to rent your car out and start making some money fast. Utah's defense I thought was great in this game. One of the better defensive performances I've seen a team roll out against Denver this season. The Nuggets scored 104 points in this one. A lot of that came in the second half. The Nuggets, like we mentioned, uh, 22 points in the first quarter. They followed that up with a 15-point second quarter. It was the lowest scoring second quarter of the season for Denver, I believe. And the 37 points Denver had in the first half was also the lowest scoring first half of a season for the Nuggets. Like I said, I just felt like Utah had a great game plan. Everything Denver tried to do, the Jazz were able to thwart. They stopped Jokic and just out-executed the Nuggets. I felt like at every turn, Denver had an answer or Utah had an answer for what Denver was going to do. I mean, was it that impressive of a performance to you? Or do you think this was more about the Nuggets offense just not finding a rhythm? Oh, the Jazz played their asses off, man. Like The Jazz deserve a ton of credit for coming in and playing this hard, this focused of basketball on the second night of a back-to-back. I mean, that's one of the most difficult things to do in the NBA, roll into Denver on the second night of a back-to-back and bring your A game and pull out a win. Utah did that, so all the credit to them. I mean, Derek Favors and Gobert gave Nikola Jokic a lot of issues. Um, I think this was one of Jokic's worst performances of the season, even though he did finish with 16-13-7. That's just a testament to, to how good that guy is, but he was frustrated into a 5-15 shooting night, and Gobert blocked a shot four times. Like yeah. Gobert affected him in a way we few defenders have this season. You know, him and Favors were really just not letting him get anything easy at the rim. The NBA.com tracking data says Jokic was 0-3 with Favors as his primary defender, 4-10 of 10 with Jokic, with Gobert as his primary defender. You just haven't seen Nikola Jokic get bottled up like this a lot this year. I mean, there's been a few games here and there where he hasn't scored in double digits. There's a few games where he hasn't gotten going offensively, but it seems like more often than not, that's been because he's been in facilitator mode and he's been looking to get others involved rather than look for his own offense. He was looking for his own offense last night. He was trying to go at Gobert. He was trying to go at favors, but he could just not gain any ground against those guys. I mean, this was uh, like a season best or or a a monumental, a memorable performance from Rudy Gobert, I thought. Just a defensive player of the year 
type performance. You don't usually see Nikola Jokic uh, get, just get bottled up like that. Well, two nights before this game, we saw him cook one of the better defensive centers in all of the league, Stephen Adams, for 36 points right. to the point where Stephen Adams got benched down the stretch. Yeah. They're throwing out throwing New Orleans, New Orleans Noel out there just because they're like, well, Stephen Adams can't check Jokic's game. What else are we going to do? Mm-hmm. So it, it was awesome from Gobert on the defensive end. And, I mean, the threat of him as a roller on the offensive end, too, was really damaging for Denver. I mean, Gobert is 5 for 8 from the field, 16 points. Pretty good, but... You know, just his ability to to catch it and finish on those lobs out of the pick and roll really hurt Denver, I thought, too. Yeah, he was great, man. And and I agree. It's impressive for Utah to come in here on the second night of a back-to-back. Tired after a close game the other night in L.A. against the Clippers. That was a close game that Utah won on Wednesday before rolling into Denver early Thursday morning and going up against Denver. Just impressive focus, I thought, from them. Before we move on here, I want to remind you guys, we got an awesome deal going on. If you're still holding out on a BS and Never subscription right now, not sure how long it's going to last, so I want to stress to you guys to get on this quickly. Right now, if you go to bsendenver.com backslash subscribe and type in the promo code NUGGETS, you can get a one-year subscription to BS and Denver for only $29.99. It's usually $35.99 a year, so about $6 off that yearly price. This new price only comes out to $2.50 a month. So it's a great deal. Tons of Nuggets content. Rocky season is starting. Broncos, you know, there's no off season for them. The Avalanche are in a playoff push as well. So go to bsandnever.com backslash subscribe. Get that BS Endeavor subscription for only $29.99 for a year with the promo code Nuggets. Also, if enough of you guys sign up, you all get free t-shirts from the BSN Denver Locker because if more of you guys sign up for that subscription with the promo code Nuggets than Rockies fans do with their promo code, than Broncos fans do with their promo code, than Avalanche fans do with their promo code. If more of you guys sign up than them for this special price, all of you will get a free t-shirt from the BSN Denver Locker. So make sure to get on this offer before it expires. Getting back to this game, I thought Utah was also impressive on the other end of the floor, offensively at times, against a Nuggets defense that, like I mentioned, had been really good as of late over Denver's previous six games. The Nuggets had been the best defense in the league. And this was still a decent performance overall, I thought, from Denver defensively. They were still really good in spots, particularly in the first quarter. But eventually, the Nuggets really just lost track of Utah shooters too often, from beyond the arc, Kyle Korver got way too many open threes in this game. Tabo Cephalosha, he hit three of three from three-point range. That might have been the difference in this one, but not even that overall. Just too many open threes given up. Tabo Cephalosha is going to make all three of the threes he gets up. Then, you know, that probably doesn't bode well for you. Like, you you just got to be willing to, to give something up if you're an NBA team. You just got to pick your poison. And when Cephalosha is hitting like that, that's just really tough. And... You know, maybe if he goes, if he misses two of those or, or all three of those, then then Denver is right in this game at the end. But, you know, Kyle Korver is a little bit of a different story. I mean, that guy's eighth all time in, in three-point percentage, and it just seemed like in the third and fourth quarter, it was open three after open three from the corners. Um, we know that Denver just gives up a ton of, of corner threes, uh, the most percentage-wide in the league. If you look at cleaning the glasses splits by a pretty significant margin, so, I mean, I know Gobert, you're worried about him rolling to the rim. I know you're worried about Joe Ingles, I guess, is the ball handler on a pick and roll. But, you know, maybe don't leave Kyle Korver after he's hit a couple. 
Yeah, Denver wasn't able to adjust to that. And every time Donovan Mitchell or Joe Ingles came off a high pick and roll for Rudy Gobert, Utah was either going to get a Gobert dunk or a wide-open corner three. They schemed Denver perfectly. Uh, They scouted the Nuggets well. They scouted Denver's defensive scheme uh, to perfection. And once they were able to get past that high pick and roll, the way Denver was playing its defense in this one and the way they weren't able to defend the pick and roll. Look, Denver's gotten hurt by actions like this before. Houston runs a lot of similar stuff to what Utah did. When Joe Ingles got into the paint, he was either able to give it to Rudy Gobert who dunked it or... He was able to find Kyle Korver more often than not open in the corner. And of course, you know, that defender who's on Korver, you know, in Denver's defensive scheme, he's sagging into the paint, giving help to Rudy Gobert. And then if that pass goes out to the corner, he doesn't have enough time to get back out there. Or the Nuggets couldn't bring help to that corner quick enough. So that's where Denver ran into trouble on the defensive end of the floor. They weren't able to adjust, and Utah just exploited it and exploited it and exploited it. Uh, it just seemed like they knew what Denver was going to do, and they did know what Denver was going to do really before their offensive action even started. And that's really where kind of the Nuggets faltered on that end. And this is kind of an issue that, that's cropped up a couple of times this season. It's a recurring issue with this Nuggets team. I think it's always going to be an issue unless Denver just gets a lot better at containing dribble penetration. Um, you know, yeah, that's where it starts. Probably, it starts probably on the ball. Uh, it, Denver just got to do a better job there, like you're saying. Yeah, and and you know the chief concern I, I have with this team long term. I mean, I, I love this team. I, I think they're going to be competing for championships in the next couple of years. But the one thing I'm worried about above all else is. Are they long enough? Are they quick enough? And are they athletic enough defensively to compete at, at the highest level and in the most critical situations? Yeah, and it's you're right. It's at the highest level because at the highest level in the playoffs, you're going to see teams roll out an offensive game plan similar to this one. You know, high ball screens where defenses have to make a decision and they've got to play that pick and roll really well so they cover for it and also apply enough pressure to shooters like that's going to be a scheme the Nuggets see in the playoffs and yeah they're going to have to cover it a lot better and make some adjustments that they didn't make here against uh the Jazz let's hit another break real quick we got a lot more we want to get to from this game some other observations up and down the roster we'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast Piper Electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. That was Jim. He's been a customer of Piper Electric for over a year now and loves it so much that he recommends his own clients to them. Sometimes customers ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have preferred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. 
they've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Total Beverage. Talking about this Nuggets loss, 111-104 Denver Falls to the Jazz. Nuggets first loss in a while, first of their post-All-Star break stretch run, their first loss at home in a while. They had won 20 of their last 21 at home. I don't think the Nuggets should panic from this loss uh, by any means. There's some adjustments that need to be made for sure, but I felt like Utah played a great game. (laughs) That was probably my biggest takeaway from this one. Offensively, defensively, they just out-executed, outplayed Denver, in most facets of this game. And look, they deserve to win, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I think this was definitely a case of Utah winning this game rather than than Denver losing it. Let's move on to a couple other observations here. The reason why Denver got back in this game in the third quarter was because of Will Barton. For the second straight game, this looked like throw Barton. You know, 21 points, 7-16 from the field, 6-6 from the line, 13 rebounds, 3 assists, is Will Barton back? Hell yeah, he's back. This was a gr- really fun performance from him. I mean, two of the best blocks you'll ever see from a 6'5", 6'6", forward that chased down one he had in the first half, and then the one in the third quarter where Donovan Mitchell like gets into him, knocks Barton kind of on his heels, and Barton recovers in, in time to trap it against the backboard and snatch it off the backboard. I mean, he had two and ones in the third quarter, like Barton single-handedly willed Denver back into this game. Like this was going to be a blowout. Denver was down by 18 points midway through the third quarter. Nikola Jokic had come off. I think Wancho had come on. Like they're they're about ready to wave the white flag even. And how about Wancho coming on and actually giving Denver some decent minutes with that lineup too? Did he? Yeah. I mean, he was a plus-minus zero in those 10 minutes. That's better than the a lot of the guys on the bench unit did when he came on. I thought he actually played pretty decent when he was on the floor with Barton. Got two rebounds, got a steal, didn't make a shot. Three fouls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was all right. But, it, I mean, this was about Will Barton. Um, and, and one of the reasons that I'm pretty high on Will Barton, I guess compared to the Nuggets fan base, is I'm a believer that when the chips are down, like Will Barton is a guy you can depend on. I think you, you saw that in that game 82 last year where Will Barton really showed out. Like Will Barton is a, is a competitor, and he's a guy I would just want on my team if I was a basketball player. Yeah, well, this is the classic game that we've talked about that you need Will Barton for. When the offense bogs down and you don't have that read-and-react, free-flowing rhythm, you need a guy who can just go get buckets and go change the momentum of the game on a dime. And that's what Will Barton's done throughout the last three seasons. That's what he did tonight. So this was a classic game where Will Barton showed his worth. Uh, against the Jazz. He was great. He played the entire third quarter. He was great in that period. What did he have, 13 in that quarter alone or something like that? He was the reason why Denver got back into this game. If not for Will Barton, this game probably would have been over after halftime. So he was definitely the player of the game from a Nuggets perspective. I thought Jamal Murray had a pretty good night, all things considered. 21 points for him. Paul Millsap flashed as well. Mason Plumlee, solid night off the bench, but other than that, Nuggets 
second unit didn't really give them much. Malik Beasley, uh, he was quiet as well, I thought. You know who stood out to me, Harrison? Actually, it wasn't a who. It was a what. The Utah Jazz uniforms. I know you don't want to go to this place. I know you're a noted Utah Jazz alternate uniform hater somehow, even though you grew up in Boulder, a place that supposedly appreciates natural beauty, but I somehow mean, you're not on board. those uniforms have zero natural beauty. <laughs> They're a tribute to Utah's Red Rocks, Harrison. They could be a tribute. It doesn't mean the uniforms look good. Look, red, orange, and yellow don't go together. I don't care what city you're from. So says you. Yeah, I heard one writer. I won't throw him under the bus or anything. He compared their jerseys to the Buffalo Wild Wings wing index. Well, he's right. That's an accurate comparison, in my opinion. Yeah, You know what? You say you like natural beauty, but when the Jazz design uniforms in homage to the five national parks in Utah... You spit on them. How dare you? Look, you can pay homage to the national parks in Utah. I've been to Arches. I've been to Moab. I have an appreciation for the natural beauty of Utah. It doesn't mean you need to throw it on a uniform, though. You know what these uniforms look like? They look like some tacky double-A baseball affiliates uniforms that some minor league team drums up to sell tickets. That's what these look like. Oh, please, Harrison. I know when they raised the rates to get into all the national parks, you are on board with that. Don't lie to me. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know your agenda. You can't fool me. These uniforms are tacky. They have no taste. They're hard to look at. Red, orange, and yellow don't go together. I don't care what state you're from. They look like a G League affiliates uniforms who are just trying to sell tickets. I have to admit, I, I did get a good laugh last night when Vic Lombardi chimed in on the uniforms. Uh, he said, I know I'm colorblind, but those jazz uniforms are disgusting. I'm disgusting. <laughs> well said, Vic. Couldn't have been more right. Yeah. I mean, Vic's always right, even when he's wrong in this case. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I, I like the court they roll out there with the arch at, at center court there. You, you like the court, but not the jerseys? Yeah, the court doesn't have yellow and orange splattered all over it. It's just different shades of red. Those do not look like basketball jerseys. They're hard to look at. Those should cease to exist. Who else stood out to you in this one, though? Yeah, Jamal was, was pretty good in this game. Um, made some shots. Four for eight from three. That, that was a good sign for him. Um, that three-point percentage has really crept up uh, since his issues over the winter. That Mason Plumlee was pretty good in this game. Um, you know, I think the bench unit struggles were... Certainly not pinned on him. Uh, he had 11 points, nine rebounds, six assists. Made a couple nice passes. Um, right. Whenever the bench unit has struggled this year, it's never been Mason Plumlee's fault. Right. He, he's always played good defense. It's going to finish around the room for the most part. Yeah. He just hasn't had many bad moments at he all. He ended this out season. six assists in this game. So another solid outing from him. Denver in this game before the Will Barton show in the third quarter. And after it in the fourth, Denver could have used a Jamal Murray 9-0 run. If they had gotten one of those, I felt like they could have won this game. Those are the type of runs that can really turn the tune of a game in the Nuggets' direction. Denver wasn't able to get one of those in the fourth quarter. It really could have used one, though. I mean, if they would have got one of those, I feel like they would have won this game. And you know, Speaking about the fourth quarter, it was impressive. I thought Denver's close to this game. Off the back of Will Barton in the third, they kind of got things going in the fourth. It seemed like for a moment they were going to be able to come back and finish this one. In the end, though, what do you think was the biggest separation? It just seemed, in my opinion, like when push came to shove, 
Denver just couldn't get enough stops. That seemed like what it's what that came down to. Oh yeah, I mean that was certainly the issue in the th- in the fourth quarter when uh, Utah still managed to score thirty points. I mean Denver won the quarter thirty four to thirty. Yeah, they won um, every quarter except that second quarter. Yeah, I mean they they just needed to get a few more stops. It was just it was just a little too easy to get a, a wide open corner three for the Jazz in this one. Um, you know, I, I think defensively, the way to the best way to, to treat Utah is probably to just live with like Joe Engel's trying to kill you. Like Rudy Gobert is going to be a monster if you get him, get him the ball a foot away from the hoop on a roll. Kyle Korver, if he's spotting up there on that on that strong side, like that's a shot I do not want to live with from Denver. The the least bad option, um, or the least good option, I, I guess, is just to make Joe Engel's like hit some you know, slightly contested 17 footers and maybe get to the rim and, and finish among a thicket of defenders or something like that. Right. And the jazz didn't have Ricky Rubio in this game. So Donovan Mitchell started at the one technically, but Joe Ingles was really running point for this team. I mean, Denver kind of tried to make him beat them from the perimeter. He only shot two and nine from three, but I mean, his 10 assists really hurt Denver more than anything else he did in this game. He was, their quote-unquote point guard without Rubio. Mitchell was good. He had a bunch of big shots down the stretch, finished with 24 points. The Nuggets cut the Jazz lead to 104-101 on just a ridiculous Paul Millsap, like step back three from the corner. That was in the midst of a stretch where Denver and Utah were just going shot for shot. Will Barton hit a floater. Donovan Mitchell hit hit another two. Jamal Murray hit a three. Donovan Mitchell hit a three. Paul Millsap hit another three. And then Mitchell hit this just deadly 20-foot step back to push Utah's lead from three points to five points. And and that was kind of the end of things there. Yeah, Mitchell's a boss. No, no question about it. And just zooming out a little bit to put this one in, in perspective, I mean, it, it was impressive, really, that, that Denver was right in this game until the very end with how poorly they played in the second quarter. I mean, that was about as bad as Denver has played all year there in the second quarter. And still they, they were in this game uh, against a really good team who was, you know, had a really impressive performance in the fourth quarter. So this, this Nuggets team fights. I mean, we've, we've seen that all year. They're not going to lay down. And you know what? This was a disappointing loss, but I expect this team to rebound on Saturday. Yeah, I'm sure they'll rebound against New Orleans, who I believe is on a back-to-back. So I think that means Anthony Davis won't be playing. Although the Nuggets aren't the Lakers, so maybe those rules don't apply. We'll see. Yeah, this 20 minutes restriction is the dumbest thing ever. Yeah, so maybe the Nuggets will have to game plan for that. Maybe they won't have to game plan for Anthony Davis at all. Looking ahead to Sunday, I'll be curious to see what happens with the Nuggets' second unit. If there are some rotational changes there. Look, I don't expect somebody to be necessarily cut out of the rotation. I think Isaiah Thomas will still play his you know, 10 to 15 minutes. He's still under a minute restriction, he said, after this game, which you could tell is frustrating. Like That was my main takeaway from speaking with Isaiah Thomas last night. He's frustrated, definitely. He's frustrated by the injury, by how he's not gotten his rhythm back after 11 months off, which is expected. I don't think anybody expected him to come in and just be Boston Isaiah Thomas. Uh, That would have been a ridiculous expectation to have. So everybody knew it was going to take time, 
but you can definitely sense that he's frustrated with how these last couple of games have gone. Yeah, I mean, he, he said it's just tough when you're only out there for 10, 11 minutes on the court. Um, IT also said that it's a marathon, so clearly he's, you know, going through some, some frustrating stuff right now, but I think he sees a bigger picture too. Yeah, and, you know, he's going to need to play better. He's going to need to play more within the realms of Denver's equal opportunity offense, and Nuggets are going to have to play better as a team as well. But, yeah, I'll be curious to see if that bench unit does switch up a little bit for Sunday. All right. Well, let's get out of here with that. Thanks for listening, guys. Another great week of podcasts. We got a lot of great content on bsndenver.com right now from this game. I kind of broke down why the Nuggets might be switching up this bench unit like we just talked about with some good quotes from the locker room. Christian has a piece up with some more observations from this game. Also, uncut audio from the Nuggets locker room here from Isaiah Thomas, Will Barton, Jamal Murray, Monte Morris. Talked to some other people after this game as well. You can find that on bsndenver.com. Also, a quick reminder, if you're still holding out on a BSN Denver subscription, we still have that deal going on where you can get a one-year subscription to BSN Denver for only $29.99. Comes out to $2.50 a month. It's a bunch of money off the typical yearly subscription price, which is $35.99. So get on this offer before it expires, bsendenver.com backslash subscribe with the promo code NUGGETS. All right, that's all the time we got for today. We'll be back with another episode on Monday. Talk to you then. Dr. Rick and his team at Belmar Chiropractic focus on getting to the root cause of your problem instead of chasing symptoms. The results have been like above and beyond anything I could have ever expected. My pain is completely gone, full of energy, even throughout my entire pregnancy. He was able to adjust me and it sounds crazy to say, but like no back pain throughout my whole pregnancy. That was just really amazing. It's better than anything I could have expected for sure. That was Caitlin. Like her, many people who had looked everywhere and tried everything finally found relief and healing at Belmar Chiropractic. It makes you feel really comfortable because he always tells you what he's doing before he actually does it. So I always felt really, really comfortable and they're all so warm and welcoming as well, which is always great. Dr. Rick can help decrease anxiety and depression, reduce stress, improve mental focus and clarity, provide better quality of sleep, boost your immune system, and so much more. He's definitely the most knowledgeable chiropractor I've ever been to, and I've actually have recommended him to many, many of my friends and coworkers. Give Belmar Chiropractic a call today at 303-233-1236.